Coming to you live from the Outright Book Fest. I'm Anthony. And I'm Cece. And you're listening to Lit. Pop. Bang. (laughs) Great. So Cece's going to read the bio. Go ahead. So I'm going to do the lovely introduction here. I hope uh, Kristen is ready for a fantastic bio read. Uh, Kristen Arnett (laughs) is the New York Times bestselling author of a debut novel, Mostly Dead Things, which she is going to read from today, uh, published by Tin House in 2019. She is a queer fiction and essay writer. She was awarded Ninth Letters Literary Award in Fiction as a columnist for the Literary Hub. Her work has appeared at, get ready for the list, people, North American Review, The Normal School, Gulf Coast, Tri-Quarterly, Guernica, Electric Literature, McSweeney's, PBS NewsHour, Bennington Review, Tin House Flash Fridays, The Guardian, Salon, Rumpus, and elsewhere. Great list. Her story collection, Felt in the Jaw, was published by Split Lip Press and was awarded the 2017 Coil Book Award. You can find her on Twitter at Kristen underscore Arnett. Please put your hands together for Kristen Arnett. Um... Before we get into the reading, after we read the bio, we always ask the writers, that's oh, your yes. like artist bio, right? What's something about you that's not in there? Okay. A thing about me that's not in there is um, I live in Orlando, and the other thing about me is I have three dogs, a cat, and a hamster. His oh. name is Aunt Karen. Oh. <laughs> I love Aunt Karen already. Yes. I, I got Aunt Karen because well, I wanted another hamster, but I made a joke that like the next pet I get, I'm going to name Aunt Karen so that I can get out of social obligation by saying I need to go take care of Aunt Karen. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It doubles so as an excuse. I love that. I appreciate that thinly, thinly veiled honesty. Oh. Yeah, it is. Yeah, great. Great. So why don't you go ahead and start? Yeah, okay. So I'm going to read to you from this book today. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the book, um, Elevator Pitch Lesbian taxidermist takes over her family's taxidermy shop after her father commits suicide, Central Florida. (laughs) If that's your shit, then great. Um, I'm going to read two parts today uh, that I'm calling bookends, uh, sad gay, horny gay. (laughs) To be fair, oftentimes sad gay is horny gay. (laughs) Some overlap. Uh, There's a little overlap in those two. So um, we just bleed into each other. It's a theme. Um, okay, but the first uh, sad gay we're going to read is about rabbits. Kind of. Um, <laughs> fuck. I'm swearing a lot already in this Good. podcast. Good. Before the beer. Yeah. Good. I haven't had my purse yeah. yet. <laughs> Movement under my hand broke the spell. Don't stop. Why'd you stop? Fingers splayed wide on her bare skin. I prayed the fluttering away. Let myself think it was an anomaly. Maybe her stomach was upset, something that could be quickly cured by antacids. Here, like this. Bryn moved my palm from where I cupped her belly button and dragged it down lower until it edged the thin lace of her underwear. Shadows licked her skin, dotting her breasts and hips and dripping gray. Rain drummed against the driveway and the white oaks in a thick, continual beat that slurred into white noise. We were cocooned in a nest of blankets that smelled like my father's aftershave and my mother's lemon talcum powder. A single tap against my temple. Where'd you go? Her nose dug into my neck. She snuffled, rooting around, and I curled my head to the side trying to trap her there. My arms slid around her stomach, and then I felt it again, a kind of squirming, a wriggling set low in her belly. New life burbled and popped. 
I'd felt it there before. We both knew what it meant. She rolled away and propped her head on her folded arms, staring out the window. Yeah, she sighed. I know. That morning, I'd said bunny bunny to my four-year-old nephew as I walked into my parents' kitchen. He was standing at the counter with my mother as she pressed orange halves on a citrus squeezer. I smiled at him and he smiled back, his mouth a solid block of orange from where he'd bitten down into a stray segment. What's bunny bunny, Bastion mumbled, tongue working around the peel. He choked and it was a wet, sticky sound. Poor Florida baby couldn't handle the constant pollen drifting onto all our cars and staining the roads yellow. We made him hack and wheeze. A 40-year-old smoker's cough, pale eyes forever bottomed out with purple smudges. Keeps us safe from monsters, I said. I did the peel from between his lips, tossing it into the overflowing garbage. Milo, my brother, never took out the trash. Said he was too tired when he got home from work. Bryn said he never had time for her. They never had sex anymore, and I was fine with that. Bunny bunny means good luck. If you say it on the first of the month, everything will turn out perfect, just how you want it. Bastion closed his eyes. Bunny bunny. He held up one finger and blew on it like you would a birthday candle. It rained every day that May, sky drumming the world at four o'clock before the sun came out again to blow the leftover water off the pavement. The world cracked open and smelled fresh cut seeping green over everything. I drove with the windows down and inhaled the world. The dank scent of wet dirt at a construction site, orange clay smoothed into wet puddles at the high school baseball field, the fruity shampoo as my hair whipped around my face, even the festering dumpster beside a traffic light held a peel. It all teemed with life. There were birds nesting in the eaves of the taxidermy shop. When one of the babies saw it and cracked its neck, I spent a whole afternoon carefully preserving it for Bastion. Every day, my mother made scrambled eggs with sharp cheddar cheese, Milo's favorite. The three of them had moved back into my parents' house on the premise of saving money to buy one of their own. Milo's old room had been converted to a sewing studio, so the three of us short, so the three of them shored up in my childhood bedroom. They slept every night beneath the tattered posters that still clung to the dark wood paneling, bands Bryn and I used to like, and movies we'd watched in high school. My brother, who I loved, curled up with the woman I loved beneath my red and white quilt. Milo said he was glad Bryn spent all her time with me since he was always gone. He said he knew I'd take care of her and make sure she was happy. He smiled as he said it, never a moment's pause that I'd be touching his wife as soon as he walked out the door. How could he not know, I wondered. How could he think anything less was happening when he knew I'd had her first? Milo's job at the Lexus dealership was 45 minutes away. He got up early and came home late, taking overtime and working holidays. It was a low-paying gig that didn't require any previous experience, which was good because his resume took up less than half a sheet of paper. He'd gotten the job through one of his high school buddies. It was the first time he'd ever really tried, and I didn't agree with him. On his days off, he stayed in bed until mid-afternoon and ventured out to the kitchen for a sandwich before passing onto the couch again. He looked tired all the time, skin grayed out and hair lank with grease. His polos were never clean. Bryn sometimes did laundry, but we both acted like kids on summer vacation. She let my mother do the chores as we hung out and watched TV. When Milo came home, he'd kiss Bryn first thing. 
She leaned into it so hard I could hear their teeth click together. You take such good care of us, she'd say, drawing a line down his cheek with a fingernail I'd painted for her. Who else would love me so much? No one's sweeter than you, baby. He'd look better than I knew it was all worth it to him, the long hours, the driving, just to come home to her and Bastion. Listening in all these whispered conversations, I tried to imagine myself in my brother's position and couldn't make the image stick. I knew what she wanted from each of us, the things we provided. I watched my brother work himself to death, saw how he was still able to be emotionally there for her, and wished I could be the kind of person who could do both. I came over every day on my lunch break from the shop, eating leftover crusts from Bastion's peanut butter and honey sandwiches. I like our little family. Brynn snuck her hand into the crease of my elbow, and I let it sit there, collecting sweat, mine and hers. Something I could take home and keep at the end of the day when I drank rum and Cokes next to the busted AC unit in my apartment. Drunk, thinking about what kind of person I was, taking from the people I cared about, taking because if I didn't take what I needed, I might die. We sat at the dining room table and ate ham sandwiches for lunch. Bastion served speckled cereal milk from a yellowing Tupperware. Between bites of cinnamon toast crunch, he touched the little bunnies in their basket with a gentle hand. The kits my father and I had lovingly worked on for several weeks, attempting to perfect the downy sweetness found in mammal babies. My father found them in a cardboard box inside our garage, cuddled in a nest of shredded newspapers and telephone book pages. Carbon monoxide from the car engine. He cupped one in his palm, body the size of a fat dinner roll. When I took it from him, its neck flopped back until the head was lying over my fingers, limp and dangling. Look at your mom. I stroked its downy back, still warm. Makes a good Easter gift. Peter Rabbit, right? We each took two, bisecting the bodies through their tiny white bellies. There was barely anything to remove. They were so young. Their skulls were dainty, the size of apricots. I scrubbed them carefully with a toothbrush, washing their coats in the workroom sink. I dried them with a blow dryer in a low setting. Blush from the drugstore stained each round cheek a delicate, precious pink. I darkened the lines of their eyelids with Sharpie. Peter's black eyes were taken from a beaded purse that a well-meaning aunt had once gifted me. A little friend described as 40-something soccer mom goes on a post-divorce date. <laughs> My mother held the babies and cooed like I'd finally given her grandkids. Darlings. She kissed me on the cheek and squeezed my shoulder. Best behaved kids. Bryn turned to my mother and held up the empty cereal box. Have to leave now for the store if I want to outrun the storm. She was still in her sleep shirt and a pair of Milo's boxers. The flap of the crotch was open. Pale underwear kept peeking through. I'll go. My mother already had a purse slung over her shoulder. Her long, dark hair lit the floor as she leaned over to kiss Bastion's head. Be back in an hour. Behind us, the fridge clicked on, running hard enough to jostle the boxes of minute rice stacked on its flat top. Bastion set down a spoon and milk drooled from its bowl, leaking onto the quilted placemat. His eyes were sleepy. He swayed in his chair. I settled him in front of the TV, tucked a throw around and peppered with gray dog hairs and crumbs from the floor. He sucked his thumb and sniffled. Allergies flaring up again. One of the dogs came up and curled beside him. Brynn and I went to my parents' room because I couldn't fuck her in the same place she slept every night with my brother. 
would have been my bed was now their bed. A bed for two people who committed their lives to each other. I could feel them there between the sheets with us, sad and hurt, and it made me want to cry. We stood in the doorway of my parents' room and didn't look at each other. It wasn't the first time it happened and it wouldn't be the last. In order to do it, I let Milo drift until it was a far off spot in my mind, a hazy blot on the horizon that I could pretend was something else entirely, not my brother, not any part of me. Brynn leaned into me and let her head fall on my shoulder. Time was always too short. All we had were afternoons, little minutes between work shifts. Will I ever get tired of this? I asked the question aloud, though I already knew the answer. You couldn't get sick of sustenance when you were starving. What happens now? She looked out the window, hand pressed against her belly. I curled around her back and put my hand over hers. It wasn't warm enough anymore without the blankets, but I didn't care. I didn't say anything, just listened to the rain lessen into their only drips pinging off the window's metal awning. I stroked one finger down her abdomen. Bunny, bunny, I wished. Nothing the words under her damp neck. Okay, so sad game. Sad. Absolutely. Okay, here's horny day. Let's go into that. Let's just speed it up. I haven't gotten my purse beer out yet. <laughs> it's a close call on that one. Right after this. Lucinda and I met at the bar and holed up in the back, drinking pitchers of shitty domestic beer and making heavy eye contact. As I took that first sip and stared across the table at her, I couldn't seem to care about how sorry my guts would feel come morning. I didn't dwell on Bryn, or my mother or father, or any of the worries that burdened me all day at work. There was nothing but the drinks and the smooth coolness of Lucinda's fingers dragging across my forearm. Why don't you keep taxidermy in your apartment? Lucinda poured us each a taster sip. That's what she called our first glasses doling out an inch. We'd see how long we could last until one of us broke down and drank it. Then we poured full glasses and really went to work. The pitcher sat between us a safe space to rest my eyes when I look too long at Lucinda's cleavage. Why haven't I been to your apartment? I let the smallest edge of the beer touch my tongue, fizz there, and lingered yeasty as bread. I don't have an apartment. You don't like taking your work home? She wore three gold bangles on her wrist. The wires were thin and chimed when they clicked together. Light bounced off them with every delicate turn of her hand. No, it's not that. I took my first full sip and let my taste buds weep. I've got a house, I live in a condo, I have a roommate. She smiled as I took another mouthful and then took one of her own. You're losing fast today. So if you taxidermy animals for a living and you don't keep any in your own home, what does that actually say about you? I drained the last of it and let Lucinda pour me some more, still stuck on the word roommate and trying to wash it out of my head. It says I don't keep him in my apartment. Who do you live with? The last of her own slipped past her red mouth, lit prints gumming up the rim. Roommate could mean anything, but the way she said it sounded like wife. <laughs> the woman from the gallery, I mean I'd already known, could tell from the body language, hand and elbow, that single stroke of flesh against flesh. I knew what that meant. Spent too much time watching their faces when I should have been watching their hands. I poured her more, but she stopped me when the beer reached the middle of the glass. Why don't you keep taxidermy in your house? One long sip for me. I don't want it to feel like home. 
Two more for Lucinda, who wore a black velvet top that clung to her body like a second skin. That's sad, Jessa. Everybody needs a place they feel safe. She rubbed her finger along the indentation of her lip, and I wanted to smack her hand away, ask why she was turning something that was supposed to make me forget into another agony of remembering. I wanted to kiss her badly. I wanted to feel something else. Jesus Christ, could you just answer the question I asked, pouring the rest in my glass? Roommate, a word that you could use for a friend or a fuck buddy. Even though I fought to keep things casual between us, I wasn't sure it was up for another person I had to share. Based on the way I'd seen them together in the gallery, it didn't feel like it was over. At least, it didn't look like it was over based on the other woman's body language. I knew what it looked like when you still loved someone after the other person had long given up the ghost of romance. And that woman had longing written all over her butch baby face. I have a roommate because I bought the condo with that person and now I can't ask them to leave without dividing up the property. Leaning forward, she slipped an arm across the table and dug one of her fingers into the band of my watch. She left it there, wriggling below the face. I don't keep photos in my apartment either, I added. There was no art, nothing but the cheap eggshell paint that they'd slapped on the walls long before I'd arrived. It's just a place to sleep. Fingers still wriggling slowly worked to undo the band. You know, I'm here for you, Lucinda said, thumbs smoothing into the crease of my palm. Her voice took on an edge. All you have to do is ask. Give me a little, Jessa. Trust me not to hurt you. Trust was a word that carried too much with it. Things were already moving too quickly, unsurprising given the fact so many queer women you hauled after the first date. It wasn't how I operated that level of emotional openness, but even the ladies I casually sucked with occasionally tried to make things more than they were. I could feel it happening with Lucinda. I thought about her constantly ignored her when she wanted attention, then got upset that she might be seeing someone else, knew that she was seeing someone else. I didn't know what I wanted, exhausted myself. Lucinda took the watch from my wrist and turned it over, my father's, the one he died in. I wore it every day, the band slid smooth from his skin, and my skin, and my grandfather's too. I could tell her all about me, maybe feed her bits of myself. But what happened when you chummed the water was that the biggest predator showed up and ate everything. There was no giving a little. It was all or nothing. Large patches of sweat lined the back of my shirt and ran below my arms. I drank the rest of my beer, and then I drank hers. <laughs> I'll go pay the check, she said once I drained everything and was looking around for more to dump into myself. Outside was dark, and unusually still no noise, not even a rumble from the cicadas. Lucinda placed her hand at the meaty joint of my hip and squeezed twice, clenched up both times. It's quiet, I noted stupidly. Lucinda nodded. How come nobody ever sees cicadas? She leaned into me smelling with the cinnamon that she always chewed after drinking. What? You hear them all night here, especially in the summer. So how come we don't ever see them? It's a good question. Cicadas always hung out in the tops of the oaks, secret away in the bark or tucked below thick clumps of Spanish moss. There was a lot of shrieking, but I'd never seen one crawling anywhere. I had part of one, I confessed, breathing her sweet smell and licking my lips. Shell. It's called a carapace. Lucinda's hand crept down to the V of my jeans. She pressed there lightly, waiting. There was no one else outside. The sole streetlight flickered overhead one spasm, two, and then went out. Darkness overtook us. I leaned back into the side of my truck and let her navigate. 
She rubbed me gently, then stopped with her other hand wedged beneath the breast. Tell me more about the cicada. She licked the lobe of my ear, sucked at it. Everything you know about them. Not a lot. I breathed out slowly, considering my words. Just had the shell, I found it in my backyard. Every sentence prompted the movement of her hand to a different place in my body. First she rubbed the tender inside of my forearm, then slipped below the hem of my shirt to strip the skin above my navel. What else? Her breath was a heavy, live thing in my ear. It was hard to collect the memory. Her fingers crawled over my ribs, slipping delicately beneath the wire of my bra cup. It was under the basketball hoop by the shed. My brother tried to crush it with a basketball, but he kept missing. One finger lazily swept along the bottom of my breast, just barely grazing the nipple. What did it look like? Roxy yellow, like cellophane tape. What did it smell like? With the other hand, she scraped along the seam of my jeans, back and forth, lightly at first, and then hard enough I could hear the scratch of her nails against the fabric. I took in more air and paused, the memory bursting from static fuzz at the back of my brain. Nothing. There's nothing to smell. What I'd done, Taste it, licking a hole right through the middle of the thorax. Brynn dared me to do it, dared me to touch my mouth to the hollow shell, holding it up like she wanted me to give it a kiss. A bit of shell had come away from the body, stuck to the tip of my tongue, and it melted her, gluey, the way the tapioca pearls taste had been stripped of the pudding. Brynn screamed and ran back into the house, leaving me there. I kept the body in my hands like it might try to escape, too. Lucinda ripped hard and fast, and I came, teeth digging into my lip until I could taste the copper of blood almost bursting through the skin. I grabbed her wrist when she kept going, and the spasms were undercut with the roughness of my jeans grinding in my crotch. A man opened the door to the bar, and light from inside expanded outward in a bright circle. We climbed into the truck, and I let her take us to my apartment. She drove five miles under the speed limit struggling over the clutch whenever she tried shifting higher than second gear. Hunched over the wheel, white knuckling on the stick shift, she looked frail, small. Not the kind of person who could bring someone to orgasm in a public parking lot. <laughs> there was danger in being around a person so malleable. She could be anything I wanted. Sweet, shy, hard, careful, lovable. Her layers were cracking open. I worried what I'd discover about myself if I dug into her too deeply. You're stripping the gears, I said, laughing at her pinched expression. She drove like an old lady. She drove, I thought, like my mother. Get a rhythm going. Sex rhythm. You know that, right? Lucinda slapped my hand when I tried to shift for her. Next time, don't drink so much, you can drive. Fine. She was cute, weaving all over the road. Cute, but scary. <laughs> Speed up. We're going to get pulled over. The truck lurched into third, and I clutched the seat, hoping we wouldn't stall out. Back at my apartment, Lucinda asked to see the cicada. I pulled a Tupperware from the back of my bedroom closet and found it shrouded in newspaper at the very bottom of the bin, buried beneath a couple of Bren's old shirts and stacks of Polaroids I couldn't bear to look at. Us at birthday parties, sleepovers, opening gifts at Christmas, pictures of Bren holding the kids wearing only a nightgown. The two of us crunched together on a dirty, strange couch in purple and pink Halloween cat ears. The shell disintegrated a little where my tongue had poked through, but the head was still completely intact. Sat cupped in my palm as Lucinda hovered over it, drinking the last cold beer from my fridge. Why was another woman always finishing my beers? 
I should get you some art for the apartment sparse in here. Seen the kind of art you're into, pass. <laughs> she didn't respond to my jab, just leaned over to examine the insect shell. Condensation dripped off the bottle and landed on my palm, swirling down toward the carapace. I tilted my wrist so it dripped on my arm instead. Fine, no art. Put up some photos, Jessa, mementos. Lucinda set the empty on the coffee table next to the others we'd killed. Her fingernail gently traced its translucent wings, tapped at its empty, bristled legs. Incredible. Perfectly formed, but completely hollow. Its eyes were milky spots that stood out like little bits of bubble wrap. I like how cicadas sound, I admitted, rolling the shell back and forth in my hand. It made me feel like the whole world's about to go to sleep. Reminds me of being up late with my dad. Lucinda took off her pants and shirt, opening the bedroom window in just her black underwear. Her breasts were high and small, so different from my own sag, spent party balloons. My skin wrinkled up whenever she lifted a nipple to suck. It hurt a little, but it was a good kind of ache. When she came back to the bed and tried to kiss me, I pushed her away and kicked off my boots, my jeans. I thought about her roommate, a woman just like me, waiting at home for her, and then I kissed her to make myself forget. Forget all about it. Think only about the body, how it would open for me, be the thing that I needed. She lay back on my unbaked covers, still rumpled from the night before. Had me set the carapace of the cicada on the plane of her stomach and the fallen divot between her ribs. We watched each other through the open hole in its body. We could hear the live ones screaming again outside the trees, high and shrill. When my mouth touched the opening to her body, her chest rose abrupt abruptly. The cicada rolled forward, ready for flight. Um, so looking at time, we got in here a little late, so I think we're going to move straight to the pop portion oh, of the podcast. Yeah. So yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Beautiful. It is beautiful. It's huge. <laughs> it reminds me of my teenage years. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about, a little bit about pop culture. We each have a question about pop culture. Um, mine's about Twitter, directly. Oh. Uh, wow. You're big on Twitter, Kristen. Yeah. yeah. You're good at it. <laughs> um, and I was going to say some... The most interesting thing I saw on Twitter in the last month was, um, I wrote down here exactly what you said, um, was you recounting your harrowing escape from an apocalypse hotel in Madison, Wisconsin. So uh, I was going to ask you to recount a little bit of that for us, and sure. then tell us uh, the most interesting thing that you saw on Twitter in the last month okay. as well. Yes. Um, okay, so I was on book tour in the Midwest. I was in Iowa, and then I drove her to Madison, because you can't get a flight anywhere between those places. Mm -hmm. Um, just living in Florida my whole life, I had no idea. So I tried to book a flight. I'm like, why is it $3,000 trying to fly from like Iowa to Madison? <laughs> Midwest. Um, so I was like, okay, I have to rent a car. Um, so I was there and like I woke up in the morning and I was like, why is it so quiet in here? And I was like, oh, the power's off. And so this thing had happened, I guess I, I went on my phone, obviously, and I was like, like Googling it. And I was like, there was like some explosion that happened at like a, like a power facility in downtown Madison that affected all of downtown. And I was like, I'll just wait here, it's fine. Someone at the reading the night before had given me like a can of wine. It's like cool, cool, cool breakfast wine. It's like a fruit. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna drink this, I've got time. I drink my breakfast wine as as one does. Yeah, um, and so then I'm like, I'm like, well, it's finally like eleven. I had to leave, I had to go to Chicago, I had to drive to Chicago, and I was like, I have to go. 
So I try and go outside. I'm like, here's what I'll do. Get all my stuff together. I couldn't shower. It was so dark in the bathroom. Like, I'm just going to get my shit together. I'm going to go out in the hallway. I have my key card. If it worst comes to worst, I just go back in. I'm like, no, bitch. I went out in the hallway. The power's out. So I can't get back into the room. Oh, no. um, I'm like, well, here we are. It's very dark. I have, like, 3,000 bags because I'm so dumb. And I took so much shit with me. Um, so I'm going down the hallway. I try the elevators. Absolutely not. Like, yeah. I'm on the 10th floor. And so then I'm like, okay, here's where we are in my life right now. <laughs> I've had a can of wine. And now I need to go down the staircase in the morning. Uh, with all this luggage. And I open this, the door to the stairwell. And it's like pitch black, which is illegal. Like, you can't do that. But it happened. So I start yelling, hello, hello, in the hallway. Like, someone's going to come help me? Yeah. No, there's no one there. So I'm like, and of course, um, I was bored all morning because I had no power, so I couldn't watch TV, so I was on my phone, so I was at 3% battery. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, okay, um, let's all pray that this like makes it down. It doesn't give out halfway. I'm using the flashlight trying to get down the stairwell. Well, I'm like carrying all this crap down the stairwell. And also, I had drank a can of wine and had not had any water, so halfway down, I'm like, I gotta take a rest. <laughs> I'm gonna rest now. Um, so I finally get down to the bottom, and I get out there. There's a million people, and there's no power. Um, wow. I go up, and I'm like, I'm like, I know you have a lot going on. I was like, can I get this car out of the garage that's below the building? I'm like, can I do that? And they're like so happy to get rid of anyone that's in the building. They're like, yes, we just need someone to walk you down there with a flashlight. I'm like, okay. And so this tiny woman comes up, and she's got a mag light that's as big as her body. And, <laughs> She's like, here we go. She's like very Midwest and just like perky and just like excited. And so I'm like, here we go into the bowels. <laughs> it's so dark. And I was like, this is absolutely like every zombie movie I've ever seen in my life. So we're going down. I'm like, oh, it's so hot. It's getting hotter. We get down to the car. I'm like, oh, here it is. Plug in my phone. I turn on the air conditioning. I'm like, please climb in the car. I'm going to drive you up. I do not want you to walk up. And she's like, okay. And so she climbs in. Halfway up, she goes, oh, can you stop for a second? I think I saw a man crouch down <laughs> by a tire, and I want to get out to see if he needs help. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> not a chance. Yeah. I was like, absolutely not. I've definitely seen this movie before. <laughs> and so I keep driving up. I'm like, and then I'm like, anyone who's hiding from the light in a black parking garage doesn't want our assistance right now. Like, if they crouched away, like, that's not for us. <laughs> like we have to keep going. I was like, we need to go to the human world. <laughs> we get up there, and then she's like, I'm gonna, she's like, I'm just gonna go back down. And I was like, I right, listen, you live your own life. You're a grown woman. I can't tell you what to do, but please, I beg you from the bottom of my heart, please don't do that. Please don't go back down there. And she's like, ha ha. I'm like, ha ha. Don't do that. <laughs> I still don't know what happened with her. <laughs> I know she went back down and watched peace. her disappear into the dark. But, um, yeah, that was truly something else. Uh, She's an unsolved mystery. Now. We don't know. Uh, that's, an, that's like a Forensic Files episode. Yeah. I, like in the future. I hope she killed him. This is a whole different podcast. It's book. It's another book. Um, this is a true crime podcast now, everybody. Yes, right. Exactly. Um, I guess the most interesting thing I've seen, I'm only thinking about things I've seen today, actually on Twitter, which is like the people who are like texting their na like neighbor number. Have you guys seen that? Where it's like people who are like someone who's like one number off of their telephone number and they're texting like, hello, neighbor number. And I've been interested to see the responses of that. Yeah. Because some people are responding like, hey, buddy. And other people are like, 
I'm calling the cops. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So like maybe that's the most interesting thing. Because I also think like there's also this just like weird timeliness of things on Twitter. Like someone decides to do that and then it just kind of rolls like avalanches into something yeah. ridiculous. And then I was just like, I like I was trying to think to myself, like what I would do if somebody like texted me like, hello, neighbor number, and like like what would I, would I send them in response? Maybe just a picture of my dogs. But uh <laughs> You know, I think there's like one of two ways you can see that meme. One is like, what would I do? Versus uh, you being like, uh, let me text my neighbor number, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> you thought, oh, what if somebody texts me and not let me do this right now? Let me text my neighbor number. I don't even text friends back regularly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like texting a stranger out of nowhere, so. So I have a question. I'm going to pitch the question to Kristen, but before I do, I want to know how many people in the room watch Queer Eye? Can we short round of applause, please? There it is, lots yeah. of people. It's like three quarters, three quarters. Yeah, yeah. People at home can't see the hands. Yeah. Anyway, so I wanted to ask Kristen, uh, A, do you watch? Uh, B, what do you think about the reboot mm -hmm. in, in versus to the original? Mm -hmm. And then lastly, who's your favorite uh, star from the Queer Eye? That's an important question. That is, that is an important question. Mine is Tan France, but it, you know, you can choose whoever. <laughs> Don't let her influence you. Right. I have watched the new one. I'm I have been interested to see how it's different than the old one. Yeah. Um, right. Just because it, I mean, well, because it's like, right, like it's a different kind of period in time. Yes. I also just so much identify with the dude just like showing people how to make guacamole. Like, <laughs> Anthony. <laughs> Anthony. Or just like, everybody else is doing a ton of work. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to show you how to make salsa today. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> I'm like that. cute while I do it. Yeah. <laughs> very, very. So I think, I don't know, that's, I think that's, oh, wow, I just really told, I really told on myself, I guess. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to do any work. I just want to look cute and like show someone how to make guacamole. Yeah. But what do you think of the reboot? I do think it's, um, I think it's doing a lot more, which is, I mean, yeah, there's space for it to do more now, I guess. Um, I think it could do, I think it could do more than that. I'd love to watch, like, like a queer women, like queer Yes. Women. Yeah. Uh, just like, I'd love to watch, like, a butch women's kind of thing, like, <laughs> like butch women showing people how to live their lives. I would watch the shit Not the L I would watch the shit out of that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's also, like, it's doing a thing, too, where it's, like, right, it's, like, um, as a person that cries, like, twice a year. Um, <laughs> I rust, guys. Uh, rust like a little robot. Uh, but as, like, it's a very emotional show, where it's, like, yes, it's, yeah. it's like designed oh, yeah. to, like, kind of, like, yes. right? It's, like, a, it's like tugs. Tugs at those heartstrings. Like, it does, like, a lot of emotional work. So I'm interested in that and the kind of route they take, because the original wasn't doing that at all. No. It was, like, yeah. kind of, like, using the queerness as this kind of, right? It was, like... It's still like doing tropes, I think. Yeah. But like the original was like very much doing like these kind of tropes or like kind of thinking about like it being like kind of like a point to laugh at sometimes. Yeah. Um, and this one is like doing a different kind of thing where it's like we're gonna make this into something that's like very vulnerable, which I think is interesting in a different way. So there's definitely I think there's always room for improvement and things like that, right? Like whatever's like landed in popular culture usually is like whatever's like the like broadest base. Um, so there's like definitely room for things to expand, but it's nice that for it to not be like from a point of like laughter and more from a point of like tenderness. Yes. So I can appreciate that. Yeah. 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 
Um, so the bang portion of our podcast is a wild card, and that is basically like the day we meet every time we record. We're like, oh, fuck, what are we going to do now? Um, and so today our bang is going to be the Q&A session, right? So it's an audience Q&A. And so um, for that, uh, we're going to turn it over to Kristen, who is going to ask questions of the audience. <laughs> You guys should clap for yourself. Yeah, clap for yourself. Yeah, you. Clap for yourself. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the podcast. For my first question, um, I am a 7-Eleven enthusiast. Yes. <laughs> yes. If you're unfamiliar, I say as I drink this steel reserve here. <laughs> I keep my 7-Eleven in business. They would hate that I said that and they would deny it. Actually, I'm like there all the time. I call my 7-Eleven my neighborhood bar. Um, <laughs> so I'm interested to hear from the audience about your local convenience store. It could be a bodega, it could be a convenience store, and what is your go-to thing that you like to get from the convenience store? Audience participation, yes. Great. I'll, I'll bring the mic to you. Yes. Great you want to talk about that. Great, great. Yeah. Uh, what? Whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's short, so I think some people are there, but uh, so DC, as of last week, as of last year, it's now home to the world's largest Wawa, which <gasps> yeah. is correct, which is extremely delightful. My family's from the Northeast, so just having that follow me has been great. And it's great because I can go there and, like, right there at, like, 11.30 p.m. because they have a dining area <laughs> and it. Wi-Fi and outlets. So it's, like, me and, like, these, it's, like, me alone and I became a regular there, which was really kind of both Writing sad residency. and <laughs> Great, and my go-to when I do that is it's also one of the only reliable Coke freestyle machines in oh, DC. So I'm only getting 42 ounce vanilla cherry Coke Zero for $1.89 and have it with a pretzel at like 11.30 p.m. while writing like shitty essays in the DC Wawa. Yes, so. that's great. That's a good one. Very, very good. It is lovely to have the uh, DC Wawa right around yes. there with us. Yes. <laughs> Also short, but I'm not gonna stand. <laughs> um, so my neighborhood convenience store got an upgrade. It's probably a year ago now, but before that, it was this like really shitty little corner bodega that was the apple of my eye. But my favorite thing about it was that the sign above the door didn't say convenience store; it said convenient store. <laughs> so it's like the place that you go when you need a thing, and you're like, damn it, it's convenient. <laughs> they also have a few really craft beer selection for a shitty little convenience store, and we'll call it that for the rest of the time that I live in. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to encourage that usage from now on. Right? Convenience stores. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm going to move to the next one. Yeah. Um, so, sorry about it, but I live in New York, and 7-Elevens are considered, like, anathema to the bodegas. Oh, yes. And they're really bright lighting in 7-Elevens. <laughs> they sure I are. I prefer a mom-and-pop bodega with a bodega cat. <laughs> and um, I don't really shop in bodegas or convenience stores that much anymore, but I used to go to one on my corner when I lived in Brooklyn, and you would choose a warm beer from the broken refrigerator, and they would put a nickel bag in the little brown bag. That's true. That's very true. Oh, wow. Yes. These stories are beautiful. They're like beautiful Christmas stories. Um... Yeah, I do like that bright light. You see everything and more than you want to. <laughs> um, okay, second question. I read a lot about Florida, if you may or may not know anything about me. Um, so I'm interested to hear from people. Um, I like to read, um, 
I like to read regional writing or writing about place. Like, what's writing that you've read that's doing like a lot of like place work where you've read it where you're like you feel like you're feeling the place that they're trying to write any kind of place. Like, that's that's something I'm always trying to hear more about from like different people's perspectives, especially if it's queer. Yes, please tell it to me. To mind is uh, Jeff Vandermeer's work, which oh, yeah. is uh, apparently his inspiration was Florida for the Annihilation series, like the North Coastal Florida, mm -hmm. very creepy and yeah. like weird animals and things changing and you don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, but you really felt a sense of that, like gross, sweaty. Um, you know, you might be in another universe. You're not sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. There might be a giant mm -hmm. slug. You're not sure. Going on. <laughs> so that's my uh, and that's great. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, Brian Washington's lot. Oh, it's so mm. good. So good. I know about it. It's set in Houston. It describes Ooh. an unknowable, vast Houston that's dealing with the flooding and it's dealing so with economic queer. Yeah, yes. and it's a queer. Yeah. It's a depiction of a of a queerness in in a city that I Houston. was not aware of. And, I'm glad to know about it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I've actually recently read two books that really do do this really well. Um, one of them is pretty recent. It's called uh, The Great Alone. Uh, it's about Alaska, which mm -hmm. is the polar opposite of Florida. Um, <laughs> and it takes place over the course of someone's life, lived, uh, moves to Alaska, like the very way out there, like doesn't have running water in their house, sort of Alaska. Right. Really learning how to survive out there. Um, and the other one is that takes place in New York, uh, New York City, and it's called Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk. Um, and it's all about this 85-year-old woman walking through New York City on New Year's Eve. It's really, really fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. Yay. Oh, yay, book recs. Yes. <laughs> and I got last one, last one before we move forward, and that's... um. If you haven't already, a couple years ago, Claire Bay Watkins put out a book, a short story is called Battleborn. Oh, shit, that um, book yeah. is good. It's yes. so good. <laughs> I'm from Reno, Nevada, and uh, yeah. she really does an amazing job capturing like how much Nevada sucks. Um, <laughs> so yeah. All right, we got time for one more. Okay, yes. Do you, ha do you have one more? I'm just going to, yes. I'm yeah, good, good. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. 
All right, so um, we recently lost one. Oh. Um, it was, yeah, there's fucking heat. Um, but uh, usually when I'm introducing myself, you know, it's my, me, it's my wife, Katie, we have a daughter. We have two dogs, three cats, sorry, two dogs, three rabbits, four cats, <laughs> and honeybees. Um, I don't have anything to do with it this moment. Um, but we did just lose a rabbit, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so we, when we, she, we lived in D.C. for, well, I lived in D.C. for 10 years. We met here. And then Katie wanted to buy a house. And we can't afford anything in Washington, D.C. 10 years ago. Or now. And so we went up just, just outside of Baltimore. And so when we got that house, Katie was like, I think you need to show some commitment. We had not moved in yet. We've been dating for five years. I feel like, I feel like that's an important thing to highlight. <laughs> you make assumptions. Um, and I was like, that's great. Can I finish the semester? I was in grad school down in DC. Can I just finish out the semester? She's like, no, no, I need a commitment. And I'm like, okay, fine. I don't have a car, sure. So we moved in and she's like, okay, we're gonna get animals. And so we ended up getting a mommy and a, and a kitten that had been saved, like had been rescued. Um, all the other kittens in the litter saved two. The one we got and somebody else's had died. Mm. In, in like in the pound and so we got we took both of them and then we got a Maine Coon I don't know if you guys know yeah okay you do That's like so they're massive. enormous yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're enormous um, and then my daughter um, went off to college um, got an emotional assistance animal came back home so now we have the emotional assistance animal <laughs> that is also kind of in the Maine Coon family and so we call it Fluffernutter it just turned one its name is Fish Sticks. I will get killed if I don't acknowledge that. Fish Sticks! So we call it Fluffernutter, and we call the bigger Maine Coon Fluffer Grumper. <laughs> and then I also have a Pibble and a Yelp. Yay! Wonderful. I love what we saw. Are they both happy? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> just how I feel.
lays down on the ground, you have to drag her out of the <laughs> She's eight pounds, they're marble floors, it works fine. <laughs> it's another way that she gets some attention on her way out the door. Yay. Yeah, and usually more treats. <laughs> Great. I am sorry we can't get to all of the animals. Thank you so much. Uh, Kristen, thank you so much thank for joining you. us for being on the podcast. Yeah. You all have been a great audience. Another round of applause for Kristen. Yeah. So hey, that's it. That's our show. Thanks so much for listening. Yeah, we had a great time. We did. Uh, don't forget to like us, comment, share us on social media, all those sorts of things. They right. help get the word out. Right. Post post to us on Twitter, and we also drumroll have a new Instagram that's page. Right. We that have was a Instagram. horrible drumroll. We're, we're sorry, people. We're we're typing. We're tapping on a table. Whatever. Yeah, but you can follow us on Instagram the same place you follow us on Twitter. We're at Lit Pop Bang. It'll be exciting. Yeah, a little more visual. Get videos? a sense to see us with our guests. Yeah, of course, videos. Maybe. See us at conferences. See us with our guests. See us drinking recording, whiskey? drinking, Maybe. eating food afterwards, right. all that all sort that. of stuff. So <laughs> yeah, follow us there as well. So coming to you live from DC, this is Cece. And this is Anthony. And this is Lit Pop Bang. Bang.